Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever suits better for you at this time, my dear colleague, welcome to another episode of the podcast. The only one that is called in this entire world, nailing the MCCQE. Today's episode, we're nostalgic, we're sad. And why? Because today is the last episode of emergency medicine. What sadness, nothing man, we gotta be celebrating. Oh yeah, thanks for for keeping up this long guys, if you're hearing from the beginning. And well, yeah, definitely it's time for to to come together. Time to come together, guys. Time to nail it together. Keep studying a lot. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you exist. No matter if you're just a number in the statistics for this podcast, I know you're real and you are desiring to kill that damn test to become a Canadian doctor. So let's get into it. Today, we, we're going to be nailing the last part of the, all the arrhythmias we, we need to talk about. And before we get into that, there is a, a small test we have to consider, and this will be a kind of extension of the last episode in which we talk about a lot of, uh, about anticoagulants. So, once that you know how to use anticoagulants, and it will be nice to know that agents can reverse them, right? And every drug we do, we give, we should know the the antidote. Yeah, sounds good. So you guys probably remember from last episode. I'm gonna start asking you because you should guys know what's the antidote. What can reverse? And our good friends, the Noak, Noak, N O A C. Huh? In India? What is the antidote? The antidote for our friends, the novel anticoagulants. It's called and the tenet. Uh, dear guest, can you um, check we're saying this right? And exanet. Yeah, and it's on it. It's like talking about the Andes. One of the most beautiful uh, mountains you're going to find in the world. Andes. And Andes reverses Riverotsuban. Come on, it seems like they're dancing salsa on the, on the, next fl- on the floor there is on top of mine. Okay, guys. Is everything all right? Celebrating too much? Are you are you listening the podcast with us? Celebrating the end of emergency? Alright. I hope you keep quiet. Keep keep quiet, please. Uh-huh. So and it's an it. Reverses Riverotsuban. A pizza then and and dotsuban. Oh the pizza pizza van. So what can reverse the bigotran? So check this out, guys. It's, uh, and the tenet is not the guy that is going to reverse all the knocks. I mean, before we say that this guy reverses all the knocks. But here, they also have a different one for the bigotran. So do you guys know what's, what will be the antidote for our good friend? The bigotran. The bigotran? Is this guy that is called? Uh, I'm too afraid to make mistakes with this one. 
I Darus is a map. And it's got a name like it's um antineoplastic. Oh, just hit the phone. Um Yeah. Ida Rus is a map. So this guy, how to remember it? Ida. Like Idaho. Yeah. Idaho. Ruzi. Zoomab. So in Idaho, you rush to see the map. You want to see the map in Idaho because you don't want to get lost in that such a lonely and um, crazy state. You want to get out of here. So Idarus is the map. Idaho, you rush to see the map. And you get rid of the bigger trend. So what will be nice to reverse Warframe? Oh, Warframe, this guy's this guy is, that is uh, a bleeding maker. We should get rid of it somehow if it's already in the system of the patient. So what would you give? The answer is a PCC. Prothrombin complex concentrate. Prothrombin complex concentrate. If you couldn't catch it. So this is the only podcast that repeats stuff once and um, very and uh, several times, so you guys can, you know, kind of uh, stay uh, on the track. Super supraventricular tachycardia. So guys, we're approaching to the end. Okay, I know we we haven't talked not more than ten minutes, but in general, like, if this is a very long trip. In which we started like three years ago. This this is coming closer to the end. Supraventricular tachycardia. Tachycardia. What is that about? I thought we already did supraventricular tachycardia because we talk about uh, our good friends the flutter, but well, we still have to do some stuff to treat this. All right, uh, I should ask you guys, what will be the clinical features in a patient with supraventricular tachycardia? And the most common sign is palpitations. And, but to complete this, to put a last name to it, to to tell you about the whole picture, you're gonna see that this is a patient that has got palpitations, and usually he's hemodynamically stable. So, what would be the best initial steps in the treatment of a supraventricular tachycardia? Mm, option A. Do you gel at your patient and shake his? And body and grabbing him from their from his shoulders and tell him you are not sick you're good option b you put a hand over his uh, forehead and you say stop suffering stop suffering i order you the name of god oh lord please Take out this superventricular tachycardia. Or option C. Do you use vagal maneuvers, adenosine, and beta blockers? No, hold on. Bloggers, no. Beta blockers. <laughs> I'm making this mistake from a while ago. We we I can't imagine treating a patient with bloggers. Maybe bloggers because if you see the bloggers in YouTube, probably probably um, this patient can relax a bit. But no, that's not the way you treat a supraventricular tachycardia. So what kind of vagal maneuvers do you guys know? 
Can you tell me at least three? All right, I tell you a good one. Carotid massage. And just to be sure. Carotid. Carotid massage. Valsalva. Valsalva, yeah. Um, die reflex. Die reflex, like, like if this guy is going to to dive into a deep water. And ice immersion, really? Is that the last option here? Because this sound like uh, a torture method. Method. Whoa, ice immersion. By the way, I was reading that vagal maneuvers are good to treat um um Hitchcock. How is it? How is it called? Um, hiccups. Yeah, hiccups. Hitchcock. It's a movie. Never mind. It's hiccup. Okay, so adenosine will be the second step in the treatment of uh, SVT, supraventricular tachycardia. So adenosine, if vagal maneuvers don't work, yeah, your second resource, the adenosine. You guys remember what kind of um, uh, what kind of rock is the adenosine? Oh, it's originally uh, one of the four nucleoside building blocks. Yeah, obviously, guys, obviously, obviously. How could you forget that, guys? Hmm. Adenosine. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird to find something that is a compound of the a and DNA to be a, a drug to treat arrhythmia. I never... I was never expecting for that. So... If these guys is not working, what will you do? It's time for the beta blockers, like metoprolol. Or, what can you use? What else can you use? Calcium channel blockers. Which one? Diltiazem. Diltiazem. And who knows if an alpha-verapamil is not mentioned here, guys. But probably. It could work because it's, 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 a, it's the closest brother that diltiazem has. And your last option will be digoxin. So these are the options if adenosine is not effective. So I guess that as I, I already say this, what's the treatment of SVT? You guys could, could, not, could, could mention it right away. Three, two, one, let's go. All right, vagal maneuvers. Remember to mention the three of them. Adenosine will be your next option. And what comes after? Of course, the beta blockers. Like... Very well, metrop metoprolol. Or, if you can't use beta blockers, you go with calcium channel blockers. Like... Well, diltiazem, or the yachtsin, in case of dancing, if it's not effective. So,
In case you have atrial fibrillation, which of these following anticoagulants do you think will be better, more effective and less dangerous to use? Option A, warfarin. Option B, NOACs. Nox, Nox. And the answer is Nox, Nox. Are more effective and less dangerous than warfarin. So, we have a tip here, guys. We love tips. So, these tips say adenosine is used only therapeutically for SVT. Alright, guys, now we have here um, a photo of an. Uh, very well done AKG in which we see uh, what seems to be an SVT effectively is an SVT in which we, we see a heart rate of 160 and 100 within 160 and 180 it's not I made a calculation I know how to do this but I was a bit um, I just read it guys I didn't took the time to, to do it because it's already written so it makes no sense with these mm, oh damn with these uh, tiny squares to, to calculate the heart rate so what they signal here where they point is that in some cases no P weights or fibrillatory waves are present the QRS are their measure is less than a hundred milli, mm, milliseconds. Is normal, which is normal or narrow. All right, so let's read the description of the photo. Figure 13.9, supraventricular tachycardia. SVT is a narrow complex tachycardia without P waves. All right, fibrillatory waves or flutter waves. Also, there is no flutter waves or fibrillatory waves. So no tooth-saw pattern or soft tooth. Tooth-saw, soft tooth, whatever. Tooth-saw, you guys know what I mean. So yeah, that's the difference, guys, between SVT and flutter. Silly me that I say something so stupid when we started the episode. Never mind. So, based on re-entry around the AV node, patients present without palpitations. Okay. I couldn't get that well. Maybe when I he hear this again, I probably understand what I said. So SVT is frequently curable with radiofrequency catheter ablation. Yeah, buddy. Based on re-entry around the AV node, patient percent. All right. That's all for the figure. Now, Let's talk about a good friend of us, the wolf, 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 Parkinson white syndrome. So I just imagine a Siberian tiger, no, uh, Siberian husky, yeah, because it's white and it's a wolf and probably it's got Parkinson. So the WPW is an anatomic abnormality in the cardiac conduction pathway. So, all right, let me see if I can make you a question, guys. 
What would be the most, the more remarkable wave to be seen in an AKG with Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome? And the answer is observing the delta wave on the AKG. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about how to ask this, so I'm just going to say it. Say it. SVT um, is the most likely diagnosis if you're looking at an AKG in which you see an SVT alternating with a ventricular tachycardia. All right. So one question here, guys. What can get worse? What can get worse to your SVT? Is that a drug? So what drug makes worse that SVT? So yeah, this is an supraventricular tachycardia that get worse after um diltiasin or or the yotsin, and that's what provokes the well Parkinson White. So the SVT and an SVT can can progress into a. Ventricular tachycardia. That's what the Wolf Parkinson's White syndrome is about. So, vital maneuvers, both slow and convert SVT. That's weird, guys. So, they do not convert atrial fibrillation. That was a side note that I couldn't get very well. Vagal maneuvers, both slow and convert SVT. Oh, I'm getting it. And they do not convert atrial fibrillation. So we have a tip here. We love tips. We love tips. But I should make a question about it. What's the most accurate test for World Park Wolf Parkinson White syndrome and the answer is a cardiac electrophysiology EP studies. So here's the graphic in which we see the delta waves. In which we um, we find here short PRs. Mm, however, short PRs can be also seen in blockages, right? First, you see the PR, short PRs, less than 120 milliseconds. And then you see the delta wave, which is uh, an R wave that is uh, kind, of, kind of very wide. So let's read the, the caption of this AKG. Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. This is a precitation syndrome, which early depolarization of the ventricle with early depolarization of the ventricle, resulting in a short PR interval. All right. What's the treatment, guys? And if you know, tell me two drugs. You can use. And please don't tell me it is the Yatsin or Diltsin. So, the acute therapy and chronic therapy, there's those are two ways you can divide the treatment. Acute therapy can be held with procainamide or amiodarone. They are useful 
for both atrial and ventricular rhythm disturbances. Use them only if Wolf Parkinson White is currently presenting with anarrhythmia. Yeah, so since like WPW can be without arrhythmia. Curious. So how do you treat the chronic therapy? How do you do that, the chronic therapy? So you can do, guess what? We just say this, guys. So every day is easier um, for you to, to nail these uh, questions. So the chronic therapy will be radiofrequency catheter, catheter ablation is curative for WPW. The tip of the catheter is heated up and simply ablates or eliminates the abnormal conduction track around the AV node. And what else? EP studies. What do they mean with EP studies? Electrophysiology, very well. Tell you where the anatomic defect is. Interesting, and on, I remember reading from Toronto notes in the area of arrhythmias, how there is um, a cryogenic a kind of a co-made radio frequency catheter ablation. So it's not radio, it's something that works with ice, like frozen in the 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 heart to well sections of it to to kind of reset the the way that it's wired and it's it's good and the frozen one is the best one because you can first freeze the tissue and see if the electrophysiology is corrected um you're still not killing the tissue but with um things that work with heat you just kill the tissue and it's gone there's no go there is no return point you're just fuck up so okay let's skip reading what else is here in the in the bottom the yachting and calcium channel blockers are dangerous like we just said in wpw they block the normal AV node and force conduction into abnormal pathway. So I guess that's why you can get a um, ventricular tachycardia or uh, maybe a ventricular fibrillation that is the worst thing that can happen after a... Uh, you know. What's the name of it? Oh, man. I, I have to admit I'm, I'm a little bit so... That probably is affecting my focus. All right, so guys, um, I remember also I read about that the ingest of potassium, potassium, potassium. Mm, potassium. Well, yeah, the ingest of potassium. potassium can put you in risk of having um, a wolf Parkinson white that also develops a, well, it's mainly high um, hyperkalemia, what can make you have a, a WF, WP, W that gets you into a ventricular fibrillation, well, whatever. So maybe you, you cannot eat so much protein on, and bananas. Just kidding, guys. All right. So, yeah. Avoid Jotsin and CCB for our good friend, the superventricular tachycardia. So now let's talk about multifocal atrial tachycardia. The multifocal atrial tachycardia 
They're a good friend. M M A T Matt. It's associated with a comorbidity. We are not diagnosed frequently. Which one is it? The answer is chronic lung disease, such as COPD. All right, so what will be a good way to treat the um, multifocal atrial tachycardia? How will you solve the, the mat in a long term? You should treat the underlying lung disease. So, and directly, how will you treat the MAT? Not um, before going to the root. What can you do? Me well, the guys, and you want to get him stabilized. So you should treat it as you will with an atrial fibrillation. You will treat it as sequel, but. What kind of drugs should you avoid? Be the blockers. And why? Because of the lung disease. You don't want someone that uh, you give him beta blockers. And well, then it's harder to breathe. Now we have here a photo of the mat in which we find multiple P-wave morphologies. One is high, one is normal, one is with a very long um, PR complex, PR segment, I mean. Uh-huh. So, and that's what the caption says. Math has at least three different, three different P-wave morphologies and is associated with COPD. I'm so grateful that they made this this short. So now it's time to talk about cardiac, cardiac and what the hell am I reading? Bradycardia. <laughs> it's time to bradycardia and AV block. Oh, those good those friends go along. They get along very well. Bradycardia and AB block. Sometimes AB block is is slow. Very very commonly. So and we have a case here. We have a question and don't believe guys I already spoiled you the, the answer just because I said the title Bradycardia and AB block. I want you to use your brain now. So a woman comes to the office for routine evaluation. She's found to have a pulse of 40 per minute and an otherwise completely normal history and physical examination. So this girl, she's rocking with 40 per minute. She's like anything else is happening, but he's got a heart rate. Hmm of let's see let's say she's, she's got a heart rate of an elephant of a blue whale what is that blue whale heart rate i think i googled this before i just find this interesting oh guys i i got it yeah it's close the heart rate of this woman of the case uh so when rose when it rose back to the surface um breathing in oxygen the whale increased its heart rate to 25 to 37 beats per minute and that's near the estimated maximum heart rate possible she's got that's sick guys that's insane. And as bigger the animal, as, as lower the heartbeat is.
heart rate. They can even have two beats per minute when they dive for food. Come on. This podcast is easily gonna become a uh uh wildlife nature um documentary podcast but not where he to become uh, doctors of humans maybe sometime we we become uh, for nature nature and, and wildlife but yeah so i should ask you guys now what is the most appropriate step in the management of this patient a atropine b pacemaker C, EKG, D, electrophysiology or physiology studies, E, mm. all right guys, hold on, sorry about my ignorance, but I, I just don't remember this, so yeah, option E, Epinephrine. Epinephrine. Option F. Isoprotenol. Isoprotenol. Am I saying it right? Let's figure it out. Isoprotenol. Very good. Or G. Nothing. Reassurance. Anyone in the public? The answer is the letter C for AKG. Makes tons of sense. So why these, why didn't they make the AKG if they noticed this uh, heart rate so slow? Before giving any drug, I would make the AKG. And mostly, if you see the patient is doing well, she's not suffering, she's, she's, she's okay. Don't give, don't give drugs to someone that looks to be okay unless, I don't know. And a pacemaker <laughs> before an AKG. Nothing makes sense here. And the best answer is AKG, guys. So, but let's read the explanation from the author. Bradycardia is common. The normal heart rate is between 60 and 100 beats per minute. But some people just normally have a heart rate that is less than 60 beats per minute bradycardia hold on guys and uh, you know what's the total opposite of a, of a blue whale hummingbirds hummingbird heart rate is incredibly fast oh my goodness it can be as low as from 50 to 180 beats per minute on a cold night when they experience torpor. A hibernation-like state. That's the slowest that can be. But their heart can be as fast as 1,260 beats per minute, which is insane. All right, let's go back to normality. And not such insane things. Insane things, but not in that insane that you say, insane. Okay. Bradycardia can also be the initial presentation of a third degree or complete heart block. Hair block. An AKG is mandatory to distinguish the cause of bradycardia. The most common wrong answer is the nothing. <laughs> And it sounds, sounds so dumb to do nothing. So if you confirm that, is, uh, that this is an asymptomatic sinus radicardia, then the answer is reassurance or do nothing. So atropine is the answer for an acutely symptomatic patient with signs of hypoperfusion. Pacemaker is used for all patients with third-degree AV block. Epinephrine is dangerous. 
Just use these guys for 0 bits per minute, but not for 40 bits per minute. Epinephrine is dangerous, especially since ischemia is such a common cause of bradycardia. Mm-hmm, ischemia is such a cause of bradycardia. Right, so if you give epinephrine, you're gonna make this guy have even less um, oxygen. So a supergenital is an old, rarely used, non-specific beta agonist that speeds up the heart rate but increases ischemia. So, like we have said before, if you see an extremely weird drug, don't use it, guys. Unless you're talking an, about an antidote that is extremely long name and it's to solve um, lead poisoning or um, organophosphate, some of those crazy things we say before, then they have very long names and abbreviations. So, okay. And that's it about the question, guys. That's it about the about the bradycardia case. But now let's talk about bradycardia itself, sinus bradycardia. Now here's a tip before we get into it. Oh, and, and you guys will love this. I super general is never the right. The right answer to anything. <laughs> Makes sense. Alright. So. Sinus radicardia. And this is the golden question. Million dollar question, I'll say. Would you treat an asymptomatic sinus radicardia patient? No, because patients can be like whales from the point of view they have from it, of it. So no treatment is indicated if sinus bradycardia is asymptomatic, no matter how low the heart rate is. One bit per minute, I don't care if the guy is fucking nailing it. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. Let him be one bit per minute guy. Let him be a whale. Is symptomatic. If symptomatic, use what to use, guys. If patient is symptomatic. And I hope you already answered. Because we say this in the case. We say this in the question we make of the woman of 40 bits per minute. So, if symptomatic, use atropine as the best initial therapy. And what would be the most effective therapy, guys? Yeah, so you have to distinguish between best initial therapy and the most effective therapy. And the most effective therapy is to use a pacemaker. Pacemaker or peacemaker? I th I think it's pace. Pace. Yeah, pace. Yeah, it's not pace because pace is just like not war. So atropine and pacemaker I use for sinus bradycardia only if what. Symptomatic. How will you treat a first degree AV block? Unfortunately, guys, here we're not going to define first degree, degree AV block. I'm glad I studied this before when I read the cardio um, chapter in Toronto Notes. So I cannot remember how it looks like. So this is a and this B wave that is getting distant, well, the QRS is getting distant of the 
of the of the P wave. So, what was the treatment, guys? And the answer is use the same management of sinus radicardia. Oh yeah, I love that. So, other question. How will you treat a second-degree AV block? Well, no, we're not gonna go that far yet. First, let's let's define what is a second-degree AV block. And the first question I should say to you is, I should ask you is, what kind of second-degree AV block can we find? So the two kinds of second degree AV block are the Mobitz one or Wenkeback block and the Mobitz two block. All right, so how is compounded the Mobitz one or Wenkeback block? This is a progressively lengthening, lengthening, lengthening. Am I right? Lengthening of the PR interval that results in a drop beat. So eventually, there's gonna be a beat that doesn't occur because the conduction between the atrium and the ventricle is blocked very easy and well guys remember that i was just saying that um the a similar concept about the first degree ab block so it's similar but it's not progress progressively it's gonna be constant usually um the distance between uh, that is gonna have this pr interval Usually more than 220 milliseconds. All right. So let's go back to Mobitz 1 or Wenkeback block, the second degree AV block. Holy shit, three names for the same thing. So Mobitz 1 is most often a sign of normal aging of the conduction system. So if there are no symptoms, it's managed in the same way as sinus bradycardia. Very easy. So what will you do if you have an an asymptomatic patient? You won't treat it unless he becomes symptomatic. All right, so let's talk about Mobi 2 block. How will you define these guys? So can you know, can you tell me a, a definition, like, and morphologically, how are the waves? How bad is it having a Mobitz 2 block? It's far more pathologic than Mobitz 1. Worth saying. So Mobitz 2 just drops a bit without progressive lengthening of the PR interval. So this SOB is gonna be a constant PR interval and there is an abrupt failure of conduction of a P wave. And this is often associated with a distal conduction system disease that is called bundle branch block. Well, well, whatever. We don't care too much about bundle branch block here in emergency room. We like here the action, not things that take a lot to take a while to develop. So, what would be the worst scenario that this Mobitz 2 uh, block patient can develop? It can deteriorate. It can progresses, progress or deteriorate into a third degree AV block. So treat it like a third degree AV block. I already spoiled you the answer. How to treat this? This is not spoiled at all. 
how to treat a an AV um, a third degree AV block. We're a pacemaker, yeah, buddy. So everyone with a Mobitz two block gets a pacemaker, even if they're asymptomatic. So this is an an interesting case, guys. Interesting case in which we treat the guy with a pacemaker with a with a pace with a pacemaker even if they're asymptomatic. Uh, whereas the third degree or completely hard block, um I'm just gonna mention here um well, yeah, the P waves and T waves have no fit relationship to each other. So it's a very um, asynchronic thing, guys. And I'm happy to announce that we are fucking ready with the emergency medicine scene um, captured. However, I would like, guys to read these final questions there are there are bonuses i read me a bonus questions chapter of at the end of the chapter so what is the most appropriate next step in management for this patient here's you got a 58 year old woman who is admitted admitted to the hospital with an acute myocardial infarction. I mentioned the the term infarction at work and no one knew what it is. Infarction. And I said it like that infarction. For a second I I was look I, I was look weird like Hey man, are you speaking in English? And I was, yeah, infarction. Don't you know that that term? And I had to say heart attack to make them understand. Whatever. So he's got an acute myocardial infarction. On the second day, on this, oh, hold on. On the second hospital day, she develops sustained ventricular tachycardia. So we're talking about SVT. Even though she's on aspirin, heparin, and lisinopril, lisinopril, and metoprolol. Alright, so they're preventing the clocks, but... Lisinopril. Lisinopril. But yeah, what's the most appropriate next step in management? How will go just with the treatment of... Mm, something to treat directly the... Oh, but she's got a bit of blocker. Whew. My goodness. So, option A. Increase the doses of Metroplor. Doesn't sound too crazy. Option B. Add DLTSM. Hmm. Not sure. Okay, I'm gonna stop talking. C. Angiography for angioplasty and bypass. What the fuck? D. Implantable defibrillator and EEP studies. You guys got it? I'll give you 10 seconds. Hey, hold on. Hey, hey, hey. It's sustained ventricular tachycardia. <laughs> So, uh, for a second, I thought it was SVT, like supraventricular tachycardia, but not it's ventricular tachycardia. Alright, so the answer is the letter C for angiography for angioplasty or bypass. Mm, and I'm thinking of, um, for a reason this is the answer. So the most common cause of death in the 72 hours surrounding an acute myocardial infarction is a ventricular arrhythmia. Mm -hmm. 
Manage arrhythmia from ischemia by correcting the ischemia. Don't put an implantable defibrillator for an arrhythmia you can prevent by fits or fits by eliminating the cause. Very good to know. That's just, that surprised me completely and absolutely surprised me. Honestly, I was going to say the free later <laughs> because, yeah, that's what sounded more, more logical for me. So which of the following tests will you do for this patient to determine a risk of recurrence or recurrence? So, eh, special guest, please. Recurrence? Recurrence? So, EP studies, echocardiography, MEUGA scan, and nuclear ventriculography. So, option A, A, AP studies. Option B, echocardiography. Option C, MOGA scan. That is the nuclear ventriculography. Option D, ventricular perfusion scan. And E, tilt table testing. You guys ready? The letter B, and I was wrong too. So the answer is letter B, why? So the left ventricular function is the most important correlate of the risk of recurrence. Awful nucleoventriculography is more accurate. You will never do this test first or before you had done an echocardiogram. Hmm. Tilt table testing assesses orthostasis and autonomic instability. Yeah. I was not gonna choose that one. Till table testing is done to evaluate syncope. Syncope. Oh damn, I don't remember. Syncope. Syncope of unclear etiology, particularly when there are there are signs of postural instability. And um, I did that tilt test, tilt table testing, and. Was positive for me. I almost died in that till and table. All right, so not the best experience, but good to know what was the reason of this of the syncope. So, EP studies are used when you are not certain of the diagnosis. EP studies are done if there are short runs of ventricular tachycardia or unsplayed syncope, and you want to see if you can induce sustained ventricular tachycardia. If echo shows a normal ejection fraction, her risk of recurrence of ventricular arrhythmia is small. So, the the, the, the friend of us, the echo. echo, the echo is good. We have another case here, yahoo. So I'll start with the question. What is the most appropriate next step in the management of this patient? So we have a 73 year old man that uh, has his third syncopal episode in the last six months. So three syncopes in six months. An EKG done in the field shows ventricular tachycardia. High stress test is normal. High stress test is normal. What is the most appropriate next step in the management of this patient? Option A, metoprolol. B, diltisin. C, 
and geography. D. Implantable defibrillator. E. EP studies. Alright, I'm giving you some time to, to think about it. I don't even remember, to be honest. I should check out my episodes several times to improve my skills on VT. All right. Mm -hmm. So I think I should pass. Job alone, deal the same. And geography. Okay, guys, I pass definitely. Answer is the letter D, implantable defibrillator, which sounded very well because. So this is for um. It will be electrical cardioversion. I, I is I would say it was the most appropriate answer. But but, well, implantable defibrillator seems to be like something that is forever. Answer is the letter D. The improbable defibrillator. There is no point in doing an EP study when the EKG shows a clear etiology of the syncope. Right, yeah, yeah, that's what they told us in the last um, question. Like, if you know what's the cause of the syncope. All right, so only if you have you hesitate about it, do the um, EP study. Or do the EP study if you have... Um, and short rounds of ventricular tachycardia. Or probably uh, you want to see if you can induce sustained ventricular tachycardia um, during an EP. Okay, but now we know this guy. He's got no short rounds of, of ventricular tachycardia. He's, this is, he's got the ventricular tachycardia. And if they don't say it's short term, we guess it's for a long time he's got it. So, yeah, we already know he has an unprovoked ventricular rhythm disorder. Metoprolol is not sufficient when syncope or sudden death has occurred. So, yeah, guys, so mm, the possibility of hemodynamic instability is what makes us, make us do the, take the decision uh, to do the defibrillator. And all right, so calcium channel blockers like the LDSM are useless in preventing or treating ventricular tachycardia. The stress test is normal and there is no chest pain, so there is no point in doing angiography. Right, angiography is just for clock and um, coronaries. An implantable defibrillator will prevent the next episode of a sudden death or syncope. And I believe this is the last question, guys. So, oh yeah, buddy. A 46-year-old man has inter intermittent episodes of palpitations. So, we got symptoms. Lightheadedness and near syncope. His EKG is normal. The echo, the echo shows an ejection fraction of 42%. Holter monitor shows several rounds of white complex tachycardia, hmm, lasting 5 to 10 seconds. So, which of the following is the most likely to benefit this patient. Option A, pacemaker, pacemaker placement. B, digoxin. C, warfarin. And D, EP studies.
an E Swan Gardens Catheter. The answer is the letter D, EP studies. Mm -hmm. EP studies are useful in detecting source of ventricular arrhythmia. If you can mm, readily induce So if you could if you readily. can readily readily induce sustained ventricular tachycardia, this person will benefit from an implantable defibrillator. He may have episodes of sustained ventricular tachycardia causing his symptoms that has not been detected by the holter monitor. The Jatsin is useless for ventricular arrhythmias. Mm -hmm. Swan's Guns is a right heart catheter that assesses intracardiac pressure and cardiac output. So guys, so guys, there is so much to learn. And but I'm grateful we did it to the end. And we have just ended emergency medicine. Congrats for you guys. I'm so glad. So if you enjoyed the episode, follow the account on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to me and send me an email if you enjoyed it. If you are so loyal that you came to the end to mccqepodcast at gmail.com and I hope you keep nailing it and just nail that the fucking test take care